John chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 1. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I want you to know right on the front end of this message that I'm not preaching today merely for information. I'm preaching for transformation. I've come to this pulpit today to make a declaration over somebody's life. Jesus wants to make you whole. He wants to break the lie of the enemy over your life and bring deliverance and restoration. The text for the message tells us that the setting for this miracle was during a feast of the Jews. The feast that Jesus is attending is undoubtedly the feast of Pentecost. Arriving in Jerusalem after a long, arduous journey from his home in Capernaum, Jesus went straight to a favorite place of rest and refreshment, the pool of Bethesda, located near the sheep gate of the city wall. The name Bethesda means house of outpouring or house of mercy. Not only was this a delightful resting place for residents and travelers alike, but the waters in this pool originated from a hot sulfur spring bubbling out of the ground and were thought to contain medicinal qualities. There were actually two pools an upper pool where the hot water bubbled in from underground, and a much deeper adjoining pool where people could actually dive in and swim. Surrounding these pools was a huge ornate building with five covered colonnades or tiled 
porches. Those of you who were with Betsy and me earlier this year on our trip to Israel would remember that we visited the site of this pool. That was the site, uh, if in, just to jog your memory, where today there is a beautiful church that has been erected. It's the church with the incredible acoustics where we sang uh, and, and worshiped the Lord for just a few minutes in that church. So right there at that pool is where that happened. Every day, weary travelers would gather under the roofs of these five porches that were there. Every day, a large number of sick people came to bathe in the waters. The scene Jesus witnessed as he came to this pool was quite an ordinary scene for that time. Little did anyone suspect that he was about to transform the ordinary into extraordinary. I want to tell you that's what always happens when Jesus shows up. And the Jesus in this story is the same Jesus who is present in this house today by the power of his Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced that today is the day when somebody is going to experience the miracle grace of the Lord in such a way that the places where you've been handicapped and places where you've been broken for a long time and places where things aren't functioning the way they're supposed to function, those places are going to be restored and made whole. For somebody, today is your day for a miracle. Now, you just as well to get, to get excited about that because it's going to happen for somebody. In this message, I want to give you five principles to learn. And these principles that I give you are going to be a means of releasing the touch of the Lord on your life. First of all, I want you to see the principle called desire. When Jesus comes to this lame man, the first thing he says to him in verse 6 is, do you wish to get well? The first step in receiving a miracle is the desire for a miracle. See, God is always looking at your heart. If your heart doesn't desire a miracle, chances are good you'll never receive one. I remember reading what Jesus says to this cripple many years ago and thinking to myself, what a ridiculous question. I mean, here this man has been brought by family and friends to this pool every day for 38 years. They arranged his mat under the porches so he wouldn't be baked in the sun and left him to beg for 38 years. He had looked for assistance to help him into the pool when the waters would bubble up. Yet everybody was looking out for himself and nobody would help him. What a ridiculous question to ask. What person in his condition wouldn't want to get well after being crippled for so long? Well, the answer might surprise you. I've found there are a lot of people who don't really want to get well because they don't want the responsibility of wellness. Sickness has its benefits. People pay more attention to you when you're sick than when you're well. People tend to be more tender and gentle when they're around sick people. And when you're sick, everybody knows you can't function, so their expectations of you are much lower. As long as you're spiritually crippled, other believers don't expect too much from your walk with the Lord. 
I mean, as long as you continue to be bound by habits, we don't expect you to teach a Bible study. As long as you suffer from depression, we don't expect you to be a prayer warrior. As long as things aren't right in your family relationship, we don't expect you to lead home fellowship groups. As long as your business is failing, we don't expect you to serve on the finance committee. When you're disabled, behavior and attitudes and shortcomings are excused. But if you're well, then you're expected to act like you're well. God has made available all the resources of heaven to see to it that you are whole. But God is not going to force a miracle upon you. Do you really desire to be whole? That's the question that sets this whole process in motion. It's out of desire that faith is born. The question must be asked for the answer reveals the heart. Is the spirit of adventure and risk still present? Are you ready for the next step in life? See, are you really ready to walk out your miracle? Not only must there be desire for a miracle, but that desire leads to the next principle, which is dependence. Look again at verse 7. The sick man answered Jesus, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now pay attention to what's happening here. Jesus asked, Do you want to get well? And instead of a simple yes, the man gave him an excuse as to why he couldn't function. Here's a man completely dependent upon others. He depended upon someone to bring him to the pool every day and then to carry him home at night. He depended upon handouts to survive. He was dependent upon someone to watch for the troubling of the water and then to help him get in the pool. Unfortunately, his dependency was misplaced. It's in the wrong thing and the wrong people. By the time Jesus gets to him, he's a miserable person just sitting by the side of the pool. His brain had stopped hoping. His heart had stopped believing. His once adventurous spirit has been crushed by life's calamities. And he has a list of excuses why he's disabled, just like we all have. See if any of these sound familiar. I can't function because my friends have let me down. I can't, I can't be involved because my spouse doesn't understand me. My mother was neurotic. My father was an alcoholic. My older brother cheated me out of what was rightfully mine. My sister lied about me. I got bullied and beat up all the time when I was a child. A neighbor introduced me to drugs. The district attorney railroaded me to jail. The judge didn't give me a fair shake. That's the kind of excuses coming from this man at the pool. It's not really my fault I'm in this condition. They did it to me. They shaped my life. They made me the way I am. Everything and everyone has conspired against me. I'm underprivileged. I'm disadvantaged. I'm disenfranchised. That's why I'm in the condition I'm in. There's something comfortable about blaming others for your problems and being the victim. 
If you're not responsible for your problems, then you don't have to shoulder the responsibility for yourself. The man was dependent, but he was depending on the wrong thing. It's amazing the things people depend upon. You depend on others for a positive self-image, you know, to make you feel good about yourself. You depend on prescriptions to make it through the day. You depend on material possessions to feel secure. Too many, I've found, have locked God into a box of only working one way. And as long as God does it this way, you can receive it. Any other way is suspect. So let me ask you today, what if God wanted to jump out of the box and do it a different way? Are you willing to pay the price of change? Would you be willing for God to show you a way other than your preconceived plan? Would you be willing for God to take you down a path you've never been before? Would you be willing for God to work in a way you've never experienced before? Would you be willing for God to turn all your preconceived ideas about how he operates on its ear if it would mean you would receive your miracle? Some people will never get it because they're locked into it. It's got to be this way. And the moment God tries to step outside of that and do something different, they shut it down. I don't know just what the Lord would say to you as a specific plan of action. You know, we've got this idea of how God works in the church. Don't we? Is anybody out there? Are y'all still there? It's gotten really, really quiet. I'm just going to take that as a sign that you're listening today. Allow me to live with my delusional self, okay? We've got this idea of how things ought to work. You know, we're going we're gonna to go through the service, and at the end, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we're going to raise our hand, and then, you know, we're going to stand, and we're going to come forward, and the man of God's going to lay his hands on me, and then God's going to zap me, and, and everything will be fine. That's how we do it in the Pentecostal church, right? Come on, somebody. Don't, don't, don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. That's what, you know, we've got this idea. I don't know, but what if God says, no, that's not how I want to do it in your life. Instead, I want you to praise your way out of your situation and into your miracle. He might say, give your way out. He might say, serve your way out. He might say, forgive your way out. This lame man said to Jesus, I can't do it by myself. And I have found there's something strangely liberating when you get to the place where you say, I can't. As long as you think you're smart enough or strong enough or capable enough or well-connected enough, God can't do a thing for you. It's only when you pull back and realize you can't help yourself and that your plan of action and your most creative ideas won't get the job done, only then can you experience the grace of Jesus doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. The only way you're going to be able to experience the miracle of real wholeness is for there to be a change. The change you need has to come from the inside out. No matter how many different things you try, what you will discover is that when you keep your last appointment and when you read your last book 
and when you attend your last session, and when you take your last medication, when you try every other resource, you'll come to the end of yourself and realize only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can make you well from the inside out. Only Jesus can put love back into your home. Only Jesus can give you peace that defies explanation. Only Jesus can calm the fears that paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. Only Jesus can break the chains of habits that have you bound. Only Jesus can give you real deep-seated joy. Only Jesus can give you praise instead of depression. The help you really need will only come when you stop making excuses and you stop playing the victim and you stop depending on what you can do or what anybody will do for you and you start depending on Jesus. So the principles in this story begin with desire and then there is dependence and that brings us to the third principle of directive. Jesus said to the lame man in verse 8, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Now, there are a couple of things I want you to notice about this directive. First of all, this was a complete break from the conventional way of operating here at the pool. They didn't do things that way. They waited for the pool to bubble up. Somebody jumps in, they get cured. That, that, that's, that's the way it works. So this is completely outside the box. But it's not just that it wasn't according to the way things normally happen at the pool, but remember, this was the Sabbath. And here was Jesus telling the man to carry his pallet on the Sabbath, which was a sacred day in which no work was to be done, and carrying your bedroll on the Sabbath was considered work. So Jesus is telling him to break the tradition and break the law, pick up your, your pallet and walk. God, are, are, are you sure this is you? I mean, we've never done it this way before. I, 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 and I got to be honest, God, I'm not comfortable with it this way. This goes against everything I've ever practiced and everything I've ever been taught. But watch this. this I love this. This lame man was more concerned about obeying the voice of Jesus and receiving his miracle than he was with adhering to rules and traditions. Here's a man looking for somebody to help him get into the pool, and Jesus walks over to him and says, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. You, you got it all wrong. Aren't you supposed to sit down here beside me and comfort me while we wait for the waters to be troubled? I mean, aren't you supposed to help me be the first one in the pool when the angel stirs the water? I mean, that's the way miracles happen in this place. We have to, let me explain to you, Jesus. This is the way it works. We have to wait for the angel to come down and trouble the waters. We have to wait for a different day than the Sabbath. See, Jesus, we, we have to wait for the right time. Uh, but I want you to know that when Jesus comes, that's the right time. When Jesus speaks, that's the right time. When Jesus shows up, he makes his own time for a miracle. See, I want to tell you, you, you don't need an angel to show up to receive your miracle. You don't need a prayer partner to show up to receive your miracle. You don't need a counselor to show up with special insight that will turn on the light of your understanding to receive your miracle. You don't need a super anointed evangelist with angel dust in his hair to receive your miracle. 
You don't need a special song to be sung to receive your miracle. You don't need a special crusade service to receive your miracle. You don't need a special anointing prayer to receive your miracle. All you need is for Jesus to show up. All you need is his touch. All you need is his word telling you, get up. I feel your touch right now, holy Lord. The only thing you need to receive healing, whether it's healing for a broken heart or a crippled body, all that is needed is a word from the Lord. And I'm persuaded to believe. I've felt this all week long as I've been preparing this message. I felt it again this morning as I was preaching at 8.30. I feel it right now. I'm persuaded to believe that while I'm preaching, Right now, there is somebody who is hearing deep in your spirit something more than just a preacher's voice. But you're hearing the voice of the master in the midst of the preaching. The Lord is speaking today. He's speaking to somebody who is bound. He's speaking to somebody who's sick. He's speaking to somebody who's broken. He's speaking to somebody who's desperate. He's speaking to somebody who's hopeless. He's speaking to somebody who's oppressed. He's speaking to somebody who's beat down and convinced there's no way out. He's speaking to somebody who's ready to give up. He's speaking to somebody in this house today. And he's speaking to somebody who's part of our online congregation. And he's giving a directive. It's a command. And I want to tell you, every command of Jesus is a promise. Because he will never command you to do something without giving you the ability to do it. The command of the Lord to somebody who has ears to hear and a heart to receive it right now. Right now, the command of the Lord to you is get up. Get up out of your sickness. Get up out of your depression. Get up out of your anger. Get up out of your hurt. Get up out of your guilt. Get up out of your bondage. Get up out of your fear. Get up out of your grief. Get up out of your brokenness. If you're bound, get up. If you're sick, get up. If you're broken, get up. If you're disappointed, get up. If you're desperate, get up. If you're hopeless, get up. If you're helpless, get up. If you're tormented, get up. If you're down in the gutter, get up. His promise is, I'm giving you the ability to get up. Get up. Pick up the pieces. Move forward. This is your time for a miracle. Receive your miracle of wholeness by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Somebody just go ahead and praise him if you sense his touch on your life right now. Come on and praise him. Come on and praise him. Let the people of God praise the Lord right now. It's his touch on your life. It's not me. It is what God says. It's what the Lord says to your heart right now. Somebody's receiving that. Somebody's embracing that. This, this is not just a preacher preaching a sermon. This is the word of the Lord to somebody's life right now. And I want to tell you, oh, I feel your touch and your anointing right now, Holy Spirit. I feel a witness of the Spirit. It's not just happening in this house. It's happening to somebody watching online right now. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. You don't have to wait to the end of the service. You don't have to wait for the last point of the message. You don't have to wait for the prayer. Right now, Jesus touches you. Right now, Jesus speaks to you. Right now, Jesus says, get up out of that. Get up and don't be around that anymore. Get up and be whole in the name of Jesus.
I wish somebody would help me shout right now. Praise God. Praise God. I hear, I, hear, I hear the words of an old song that we used to sing. Rise and be healed in the name of Jesus. Let faith arise in your soul. Rise and be healed in the name of Jesus. He will touch you and make you whole. That's his word to you today. God, I believe Jesus wants to touch you today. I didn't do that very well. Let me say it. Let me, let, let me get closer and say it again. I said, I believe Jesus wants to touch you today. He wants to touch you today. Right now, he, right now, Jesus, lay your hands on my brother, even as I'm laying my hand on him. Touch him and make him whole, make him complete. Lord, we heard testimony earlier about how you've healed someone of cancer. Now, you are no respecter of person, so touch my brother today and raise him up in healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. Somebody, come on, just lift your hands. I, I, got, I got two more points, but the Spirit of the Lord is working right now. I don't want to get ahead of what God's doing. Oh, come, Holy Ghost. Come in this house right now, Holy Ghost. Touch your people today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord forever. You're touching people right now in this house. You're touching people right now online. You're touching your people today, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your miracle life, Lord, that flows in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit says to you today. I am troubling your waters that I might pour upon you my spirit, that I might restore you to fullness, that I might put in you the spirit that you need in order to accomplish the task which is before you. For I am the Lord, and I will perform all that I desire. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody, just lift your hands and thank the Lord for the inbreaking of His Spirit in this house right now. We bless your name, Holy Spirit. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your confirming word, O oh Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Earlier, when, when, I was, when I was putting this series of messages together on, on miracles and embracing the miraculous, my, 
I just felt the, the Lord prompt me in this direction. And uh, as I was preparing it and, and praying over it and thinking about it and, and putting the, the messages together, I began to pray and say, Lord, I really want to see your miracle life flow in this house. Not, you know, this isn't about a bless me club for us. This is, I told you last week, the purpose of miracles is for the unbeliever, for them to see there is a great God and then to be attracted to him. So I, I begin to pray, Lord, I, I want to see that in, in our midst. And, and, and God doesn't speak to me in an audible voice. Um, there's sometimes I wish he did, and then there are other times I'm kind of glad he doesn't. You understand what I'm saying? You know, um, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that is always going around, the Lord said, you know, I'm a little suspicious. Well, never. that's another subject for another time. He just doesn't do it that way. But, but as I prayed, was, was talking to the Lord about that, I just felt in my heart, in that, in that inner knowing that I've come to recognize as the prompting and the direction of the Holy Spirit for my life, I just sensed the Lord saying to me, I want to do that but you're going to have to make space for that. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't done that enough. Yes, make room for God to show up in miracles. Make space for that. Welcome it. And that, I want to do that. I, I want there to be that space for the miracle of God because at the end of the day, you're going to walk out of here and I'd be surprised if anybody by next Sunday will be able to tell me anything about the sermon I preached today. I mean, I've, I've been doing this way too long to think that, that that's going to do anything. But if God will lay his hand on you, if, if the Spirit of the Lord will touch you, you will not, never forget that. You, you, will, you will never forget the touch of God on your life. That's what we need. And so, so I, I got I to hasten on. I, I, I want to I give you these other two principles because they're critical for you not only receiving but retaining your miracle from the Lord. See, once you have a directive from the Lord, when he says, get up, then the fourth principle comes into focus. You have to make a decision. Verse 9 says, immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. See, the Lord told him what to do and he did it. He didn't argue with the Lord. Come on, somebody. He didn't argue with the Lord. He didn't tell him he was crippled and couldn't possibly do what he told him to do. The man simply made a decision to obey, and he did it. Obedience is critical. I want to tell you this. I, I, it, it will sound perhaps harsh. I do not mean it harsh. I mean it to help you. Stop making excuses and start obeying. The word of the Lord is a word of life and health. The word of the Lord in this book, the Bible, is a life-giving word. The word of the Lord that he speaks to your heart by the Spirit in the midst of this message is a word of wholeness. The word of the Lord spoken under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit by the servant of the Lord is a word of strength and help and life. But I want to tell you, it's up to you to believe the word and then to act on your belief. 
And the truth is, you will know what it is you really believe by the action you take. You know, that lame man, he didn't have to do anything. When Jesus said, get up, pick up your pallet and walk, he could have just said, ah, that's a good word. Oh, boy, I, that just feels so good to me. Thank you for that blessing. And just sat there. He could have ignored the direction. He could have refused to obey. And had he done so, he would have laid there until he died. The same is true today. You, you don't have to obey the word. You don't have to believe that it's a present word meant for your life. You can live frustrated and defeated and despairing if you want. You can. Or you can trust Jesus. You can believe the word. You can receive it into your life as health and wholeness. You can claim it as a now word for your life. And you can then step over into the glorious experience of victory that is promised by the Lord. See, the Bible says that the moment the lame man made the decision to trust the word of Jesus, he was immediately made well. Now, I've often wondered if that meant the man could immediately walk normally as if he'd done it all his life, or if that meant he had to take a few small stutter steps, kind of get his balance, and learn what to do with this new ability. The only reason I say that is because I've seen the Lord bring miracles both ways. Sometimes he brings an instantaneous miracle, and immediately everything is put back together. Immediately the scans are clear. Immediately the bone knits. I have seen God do this. I've seen God. I've, I've, I've prayed for someone with, with his face and his head completely covered with skin cancers and oozing. It was one of the nastiest things I've ever seen in my life. And the next Sunday, the man came back and his skin was like a newborn baby's. Wow. I've, I've witnessed that happen. Wow. I've been in a service where a woman came forward who was deaf and unable to speak. And as the people of God prayed over her, I was privileged to hear the first words that she had ever spoken. Merci, Jesus. Merci, Jesus. She was in Haiti that we were praying for her. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The first words out of her mouth. She could hear. I've seen God instantly do that. Other times, he brings wholeness, and then you have to learn how to walk it out in everyday experience. It's his touch on your life, but it doesn't happen. It's just a, everything's, you, but, but step by step, day by day, piece by piece, you begin to walk it out. Y'all okay with this? Because my time's up, and I, I got one more point to preach. Y'all okay? All right. I, I, if you got to go, I understand. God love you and bless you and keep you. So, okay, here we go. Let me get the last one in. There's desire and dependence and directive and decision. Only one more principle, but it's critical. You got to get this one. It's the principle of determination. It's the principle you find in verses 10 and 11. It says, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. 
I got a little amused when I read that because earlier the man is blaming everybody else for the problem. You know, I don't have anybody to help me. He's playing the victim, and now he's blaming Jesus for making him break the Sabbath. I mean, I... <laughs> but here we've... <laughs> it's just funny way of looking at scripture. Here we find the very ones who should have been the happiest about the miracle being the critics who actually try to rob the man of the miracle he's received. And can I just tell you, the same spirit is around today. And though I hate to admit it, it's usually found in the church. Uh, just when you get some relief, just when the Lord brings a breakthrough, just when the pain eases and you're able to function where you've been unable to function before, just then somebody will come along and try to steal your miracle. And they'll even make it sound spiritual. Well, <clears throat> you know, we don't do things that way around here. It's never been done like that before. It goes against our tradition. You know, you should have waited for the angel and the troubling of the water. That's the way miracles happen around here. At the same time, I want to tell you, there is a spiritual enemy who will use anyone he can to rob you of your victory. Just when you kick the drug habit, somebody will come around to offer you one more hit. You know, we've got this, it's good stuff, and I, I don't want to see it go to waste, just, 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 you know, this, and then you can quit. Come on, somebody. Somebody knows, somebody knows, somebody knows that. Just when you kick the alcoholism, somebody will offer you a drink. What, what, you're not being sociable anymore? You Just when you get your eating pattern straightened out, somebody will insist that you simply must have a piece of their homemade pie. And y'all thought I was doing good until I got there, and now you, now you accuse me of meddling. Quit preaching and went to meddling. I want to tell you, if you're going to retain your miracle, you're going to have to have a determination that regardless of the temptation, regardless of the false starts and tentative steps, regardless of what everybody else thinks about it, Nothing and no one is going to rob you of your miracle. If you want your miracle, you're going to have to walk even when they say you can't walk. Do it even when they say it shouldn't be done because it's the Sabbath. Believe the impossible. Do the impossible. Because, see, when Jesus tells you to do the impossible, he never tells you to do something without giving you the ability to do it. The very fact that he gives you a command is the promise that you're going to be able to do it. Because yes. yes. he's not going to give you a command to frustrate you. When the leaders rebuked this man for carrying his pallet on the Sabbath, I love his response. He said, take it up with him. The one who made me well told me to do this. Carrying my pallet is part of my therapy. This is what I had to do in order to get my miracle, and I'm not going to stop just because it breaks with custom and tradition. It doesn't matter to me if nobody else is carrying their pallets. It doesn't matter to me if it is the Sabbath. If this is what I have to do for my miracle, I'm going to do it. That's the determination that's required in order for the work to be completed in your life. 
Come help me stop, Pastor Larry. Play and I'll quit. Eventually. As I was preparing this message, I had a sense that there would be somebody who would hear this message and would believe and would respond to the word of the Lord. I'm talking to somebody that wants to be whole. And you realize you can't cause this to happen by yourself. And today you're willing to place all your dependency upon Jesus. And you realize that his word of life is in and of itself a promise. Somehow while I've been preaching, through the work of the Holy Spirit in this house, you've heard the promise of the Spirit for your need. And you've decided to believe it. And you've begun to receive his word and it's making you whole as you embrace it as a now word for your life. So all over this house, I want you to begin to expect the Lord to work mightily in the lives of those who are going to respond to this invitation in just a moment. Lord Jesus, I've delivered your word the best I know how to do it. I believe I've given what you've given me and I've sensed your Holy Spirit sealing it with your approval. And now I pray that faith will rise and that we will dare to believe for and to expect miracle life to flow. In the next few moments, before we get out of this place, I'm asking that you will confirm your word. Thank you, Lord. Some of you have been wounded by friends, by loved ones, by the church, by those you've trusted. We're going to pray for healing and deliverance. We're going to pray for strongholds to be broken from over your life. We're going to pray for physical healing. I don't know what area it may be for you where you need his miracle. But if you want to be whole in whatever area, if you need a miracle, then here's what we're going to do. Just a moment, if you need God's touch, we, we can do this, I believe, and, and, and still observe all the protocols we need. But I'm going to ask you if you want his touch on your life today. I'm going to ask you to stand and make your way to the front. Space yourselves out so that you're not just all in one group here, but we're kind of separated from each other a little bit. Put your mask on. I'm going to put my mask on when I pray for you. But I want to believe with you that Jesus is going to touch your life today. If you need it and you want it, come now. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. You know if this word has spoken to you. You know if this is your word. So you come. I don't have to beg people to come when they know God has spoken to them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, touch your people today. Jesus, touch your people today. Jesus, confirm your word.